And now, a segment from the best of The Night Side with Barb DiGiulio podcast. Listen and download the latest podcast at Newstalk1010.com. You may have heard today that hosting Expo 2025 will cost $1.9 billion. That figure is, according to uh, consultants paid for by the private sector interested in hosting the World Fair, it would be Expo 2025. Uh, boosters argue the event would bring in almost $3 billion. Someone who feels like we really do need to make a bid on this event is uh, the CEO of the Toronto Arts Council, Claire Hopkinson, and she joins me now. Hi, Claire. Good evening, Barb. Thanks a lot for doing this. My pleasure. Why do we need to host the World Expo? Well, you know, really, this is a perfect moment in time. I think it's an opportunity of a lifetime, indeed. We have... The uh, undeveloped portlands, which have been on the federal, provincial, and city's books to develop for many, many years now. We have a backlog in transit. Um, and so the Expo 2025, uh, not only would it bring uh, millions of tourists to Toronto and to Canada, but it would also be that catalyst that we've needed for so long to bring those big city building projects into focus. See, this is where I think the average person is a little bit cynical, perhaps feeling like, why do we need to host an event in order to get things built that need to be built anyway? I, you know, I think that's a really good question. And I think many politicians would say, well, of course we don't, you know, it's, it's going to happen. But you know, like anything, there's nothing like a deadline to focus the attention. There, there's no way that you can escape that deadline. The show's got to go on, as you know so well, in terms of what you do. But I think more importantly, uh, Expo is a nation to nation, the largest trade event. And as we talk about the need for economic growth, this could be a fantastic spur for um, economic growth for the city. We're, we're looking at, uh, and for the province and for the country, we're looking at something like 50,000 man hours of uh, labor involved. Uh, it also, uh, we know that we need affordable housing in Toronto. Uh, it could provide, we've got in the plans, 100,000 affordable housing units. But, you know, this is a time that we can bring the city, people in the city together, the country together, and we can showcase our innovation, our ingenuity, our creativity, uh, our technology to the world and bring the world to Toronto. In many ways, we're already home to the world. So the hundred and hundreds, well, 169 members of the Bureau International des Expositions, which controls the expos, these are member nations of which we already have representatives here on the ground in Toronto to be that wonderful welcoming committee and uh, show the world that we are truly a cosmopolitan, diverse, a tolerant and welcoming city. Claire Hopkinson is my guest, director and CEO of the Toronto Arts Council. She is in favor of Toronto bidding for the World Expo 2025. Uh, a study says it would be a $1.9 billion price tag. I mean, I've, I've got to just, you know, tell you obviously what people out there are thinking, which is 
Uh, people who have friends in government will get the plum positions. They will do very well, as is, as we saw with the Pan Am games. But for the rest of us, it's construction delays. It's all this wasted taxpayer money. I mean, the Pan Am games ended up a billion over the original budget. Well, the great thing about an expo is it's totally unlike an Olympics or any other kind of sporting event. Um, we as a city get to align the expo with our own priorities. Indeed, we won't even win the bid unless it can really demonstrate that it conforms to um, city priorities such as affordable housing, transit, um, and the floodproofing that we need so much. In In terms of jobs, all I can say is the volunteer committee that is comprised of, you know, all the people working for expo bid right now, and I've been on the committee for four years, I do not think that profit is the motion, the, you know, the motivation at all. I can tell you, I've worked in the arts all my life, and there are so many good people that I work with every day. The profit margin, uh, motivation doesn't even enter into it. We, we want to make the world a better place, and, and an expo allows us to dream about a better world, allows us to innovate about what a sustainable future would be okay. and how nations can speak to each other instead of closing borders. Um, so I, I'm not cynical because in my everyday life, in my many, many, many years in the arts and working with others who are interested in social justice and affordable housing and a better city, uh, I see other motivations at work and I see them at work in this expo bid. But the other thing is, um, we're looking. We say 1.9 billion, but the actual. Um, well, that doesn't count. That doesn't the count the infrastructure costs, right? That's yeah, yeah right. So, so the operating costs would be more than paid for. There'll be, uh, there will be a box office. There will be sponsorships. There will be rent paid uh, by other governments coming to do their expo pavilions here. So the the. Um, Consultants, PricewaterhouseCoopers and Arup Consulting, they've they've uh, conservatively estimated that there is a very strong possibility of a surplus. Oh, let me let me just throw a number at you because I'm sure you're aware of this. The last yeah. expo was one of the biggest boondoggles in expo history. Milan Expo, 2015, ended up costing more than 18 billion dollars in Canadian equivalent. 18 billion. How are we supposed to come in at 1.9 billion? I mean, I've got people texting in so angry saying no, thank you. I think it's just even though it's very different from Pan Am, I think the general consensus out there is that friends of the government are going to profit from this. And I know you say, uh, in your opinion, that's not the point of it. But when we look at the salaries and the bonuses and the severance packages, how can it be any different? Well, as I say, this isn't one of these sport franchise events. This is a, a very different kind of event. And for Milan, I mean, I can't really speak to that except to say that the uh, land valuation in, in Europe and what they had to buy uh, for the the purposes of doing an expo in Milan are so entirely different here. The port lands where expo would go is most of the land is owned by the city. If it's not owned by city, it's federal. It's not developed. So post expo, when all the pipes are put in and all the, the techno technological uh, high speed internet is put in and the flood proofing is put in, all of that land will be ready for development, which will yield a tax base 
for uh, the residents of Toronto for our, for our services. That money isn't there right now. Um, you know, I think I can commit to you, and I know the other people on the committee can commit to the taxpayers of Toronto, that we want this to be a very transparent event where people will really feel proud and will lift up our spirits. Claire Hopkinson, thank you so much for this. Well, thank you for the call. Claire Hopkinson is a director and CEO of the Toronto Arts Council. It is a Friday night roundtable on our 80s Friday nights. Jay Michaels is here, co-host of The Rush 4 to 7 on News Talk 1010. Welcome back. Thank you. My Did you chair- actually leave the building? Your chair is still warm? It's still warm. <laughs> Just a little you're, bit. You're sitting in your same seat that you <laughs> left. Maddie DiMuccio, CEO of the Society for Quality Education, columnist with Troy Media, president of the York Region Taxpayers Coalition. We've spoken many times but never met in person. Thanks for coming in. And thanks for having me. It was great meeting you in person. Yeah, it's really nice to meet you. So before we get on to all of our busy roundtable stuff, uh, Jay, interesting situation for you today. You wish these things would not happen anymore, but you put a sandwich in the fridge today. Yeah, like a half a sandwich. I, I eat half of it during our, our afternoon meeting. Yeah. And then I put it just before the show, and I, I thought I'll have it like 5.30, went to the fridge. Gone. <laughs> Who does that anymore? Who does it? And there is so much food in our fridge. There is, there, there's like a pan of lasagna. There's coffee creamers. There's, there's, there's like desserts. There's, there's coffees and teas. I guess it was just the most enticing sandwich in the world. You sure it wasn't the janitor getting rid of, you know, old things or maybe thinking it was an old I thing? mean, they used to, well, that's a whole Friday thing. <laughs> but but if Jim Richards' vegetables are in the fridge, they haven't done that. Because okay. he's, he's storing there whenever there's like huge stocks of broccoli and things right. like that. That's Jim's food. Everybody knows it's Jim's food. Don't touch it. But you think you could leave a sandwich for a yeah, couple well, of hours. Yeah, well, the unwritten rule of radio generally is after midnight, the back shift, the overnight people, <laughs> they're, <laughs> the, they're the vampires. They will eat absolutely anything that's left. <laughs> Because you know I what? have done that. I have eaten the food in the fridge. In the middle of the night? Oh, yeah. But you can't blame them. No. They're there in the middle of the night. But 5.30 in the afternoon, guys? Come no, on. I get you. I get you. So I was talking about something a little bit earlier. This mom, uh, has her, her post has gone viral. She went to Facebook with a picture of a sign she put on her thermostat for her kids. And the sign reads, unless you answer yes to all of these, do not turn on the heat. And the questions were, are you wearing a hoodie, pants, socks? Is it November, and do you pay the gas bill? <laughs> so I was asking if people know frugal people or live with frugal people who get very picky about that stuff. Jay? Sounds like a Beatles song, doesn't it? All the frugal people. <laughs> you know what? I, I think that I am, to that degree, very frugal. There's certain things in my life that I, I, I really like my entertainment. I really like to eat well. But when it comes to home heating and stuff like that, I am definitely the guy that's saying, put on socks put on a sweater. But that being said, it's really funny because I've been out of the city for a few months and I just moved back in September. So I rented a short-term rental home. And when I was negotiating for the home, I was going back and forth with the guy. And I said, you know, this is a little steep, blah, blah, blah. And you know what he said to me? He said the magic words. He said, tell you what, how about I throw in the utilities? Done. And it was like, yeah. Nice. Yeah, the heavens nice. opened up. So now what I'm trying to do is the opposite, guys. I'm trying not to abuse the power. I'm actually forcing myself to go around and shut off lights and stuff like that and keep oh, the heat. Oh, see how it works? Yeah. Reverse because, psychology. Yeah, because now that I know it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet, I'm like, well, I can just wear shorts and I can open the windows. And I'm like, no, no, no. Don't abuse it because it's still going to, the bill that's going to land in the, in the worth, landlord's lap. That, that is worth paying uh, a little bit extra for, for sure. Manny, you have three boys at home? 
Yeah, including uh, my husband. So that's four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you asked earlier, uh, who's the frugal one in your family? And quite frankly, yeah, I'm the frugal one in my family. Uh, when I read this, uh, this thermostat hack news story, I was actually thinking to myself, uh, there's probably a lot of people who are frugal that way, and and probably a lot of us moms who pay the bills. You know, we I get on the internet. Technically, right? We're the ones who pay, pay them. the bills. Yeah. That's right. Physically pay the bills, and uh, you know, we see we see the astronomical rates. Um, I almost think that every other household in Ontario probably has that sign on their thermostat when we look at these hydro rates that have gone insane. So I'm not surprised to see that. And it's not, it doesn't just stop at the thermostat. It, it, it's it's leaving lights on. It's, uh, you know, like you said, leaving the stove on is somebody cooking something or forgetting to, <laughs> to, to shut something off or the TV, you know, we're having dinner and, I, and the TV is on. And I'm thinking, who's got the TV on? Why can you not shut the TV on? So yes, it drives me insane. And I think there's a lot of us moms out there and a lot of us, you know, people who pay the bills, dads, moms, whatever, uh, that are going through this. I have, so, a, yeah. I, I have a couple for you guys because yeah. um, I have boys as well. Do you guys find uh, you'll get up in the morning and the guys get up to, to go go through their day and you go to their bedrooms or you go to the basement wherever they congregate yep. and you'll find like three-quarter cans of Diet Coke or a <laughs> bag of cookies that are cave, or a yes. bag of chips that are open and they've gone stale and you're like, you are clearly yeah. not the one paying Seven bucks for three bags of Doritos or two bags of Doritos, actually. Now, you can tell who's who's spending the money on the food because it just seems to be just waste. You know, those are the times, aren't they, where um, you, you sort of have these moments when you'll talk to friends or you'll talk to your spouse and say, you know, we really spoil them. They don't appreciate the value of a dollar because really we're not teaching them, I guess, or we're not being strict enough on them. But yeah, you do see that a lot. In our house, it's it's half full water bottles everywhere. Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. <laughs> I totally relate to that. No more water bottles. I've stopped buying water bottles. Yes, yes. And by the way, speaking of, of uh, you know, luxury, uh, you know, just mentalities of leaving things on, my kids take hour-long showers. I'm not kidding. You know what it's like getting up at six in the morning and this guy's taking a shower for over half an hour with, with this, with the hot water. So I don't know if it's a a youth thing or a male thing i don't know but it, uh, it it's it's it seems to be that kind of behavior that is just clueless behavior about how much this is costing us you know what Jay, I found is that out? a male thing well I, I i know exactly what you're talking about my younger son would take the 45 minute showers and i finally just said to him like i don't want to pry obviously but what what are you doing in there and you know, <laughs> you know what i found out he was doing what the first thing in the morning he would finally drag his butt out of bed he would lay on the floor in the tub with the shower water on him and basically go back to sleep. <laughs> I'm convinced my kid does That's the same thing. I'm convinced. Anybody who doesn't have boys might not believe that, <laughs> yeah. but I believe it wholeheartedly. I can totally imagine my son getting into the shower and falling back asleep. Because I go through this every morning, right? Uh, and I'm the one who sort of gets them up and gets them out. And oftentimes I'll I'll give them a call and then 20 minutes later go back, <laughs> gone, just gone. I have to ask you guys though, and I wish my wife was here to to listen to you guys because she she loves it. She loves being the the girl in the house because she feels as if you know she gets a lot of attention. But at the same time, I think there's just so much crap that you have to put up with with guys in the. I mean, especially if you don't have more than a couple of bathrooms whenever you want to go into one, or you want might end up going into that bathroom wishing you had never ever gone into that bathroom. True. 
that kind of stuff? You know, I, kind of ha- I have to say I envy her because you just said that she she loves getting attention. I, I wish <laughs> I had, I could say the same thing, but living in a household with so, so much testosterone, I actually feel quite lonely. So kudos oh, to your wife. Okay. You know what I find? You just have to, um, you have to sort of know what you're dealing with and, and approach it in a Zen manner. For instance, you know how you guys are. Every piece of furniture becomes something to hang clothing on. Right. And that can drive you insane if you see sweatshirts all over the place and and stuff or stuff that's been folded and not taken to the room or anything like that. You just sort of have to pick and choose your battles. But I actually have a lot of fun living with a house full of guys. How about uh, do your guys? I could do this all night. Do your guys take off their socks, ball them up and just throw them on the floor or leave them on furniture? They don't don't even ball them up. They just literally throw them on the floor. What is with that? I I I have a trick that I do whenever I find dirty socks. I put them underneath their pillow. Ooh. So, so, so in the that. middle of the night, you kind of roll over like, oh, God. Yeah. In yeah. our house, it's not hanging up the bath towels, leaving them lying on the bed or lying on the floor. Yeah. Well, that's a big one with us. Friday Night Roundtable with Maddie DiMuccio and Jay Michaels. So a Windsor sandwich shop uh, recently offered a Trump sandwich, white bread full of bologna, wall of Mexican chips. <laughs> ha ha. Everybody's getting on this bandwagon. Well, there is... A place, I believe it's in Ottawa, Sass Loves Meats on Wellington Street. And they got into a little bit of trouble for a cheeky, I'm say, sandwich board that listed a couple of specials having to do with the U.S. presidential election. The Clinton special is small turkey breast and big turkey thighs and one left wing. The Trump special, the Trump Grab a Rump package, featured a variety of meats that are half price off the rear end. Also, a whole turkey, white meat only. It's tax-free because, of course, Donald Trump doesn't pay taxes. So uh, it was put on Facebook, and it was put out there to be cheeky and be funny and draw attention to the restaurant, the deli, and people reacted very swiftly. Shame, disgusting. This is really distasteful to the point where the, the entry was deleted, but the owner is saying, you know what? I just want to pretend this never existed. So this is where we are now. I get that... People try to do things creatively in terms of marketing. I get that there are also a whole bunch of people out there waiting for stuff to jump on. You know, what is a happy medium? Can we have a sense of humor about anything? Or do we, Jay, have to play it strictly by the book? No fun. Nothing that could be deemed to be politically incorrect. I think... If you want to be a successful business, you sort of do have to walk that line. I'm, I'm a sandwich board reader. If I walk by a pub and I, I see a, a funny sign, I might make that the place I'd go in to have lunch because I think it's clever. But I honestly think if I was a business owner, what I would my strategy would probably be is that I would not be afraid to offend because I know that the way society works now is it's going to be funny. I'm going to get attention. And even if I get negative attention, all I have to do is immediately take the sign down and apologize. And then worst case scenario... Some people threaten not to come to my business anymore. I just say, well, we'll get some sensitivity training. All the while knowing that I never, ever will actually do that. You have the whole PR thing down. That's that's how it works in my mind. But but what my gut says to this, Barb, is that we've just become a ridiculous society. It's really, truly unfortunate. Unless you're being overtly sexually racist or, sorry, sexist or racist or misogynist. I think there are certain lines that we all pretty much know not to go across, especially for this guy in Ottawa with this deli sign. It's pretty close, but I don't find it offensive at all. You know, and and Maddie, I'll, I'll ask you your opinion on that. But as Jay's talking about things like that, it's got me thinking about, well, why haven't we had complaints because 
Um, the LCBO sells wines that have cheeky labels like menage a trois or things like that, right? Fat bastard. Why are, <laughs> why are we not hearing complaints about that? I think it's creative advertising and marketing. And I'm with Jay. That would actually attract me into the restaurant, a funny and interesting sign. Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you. It's uh, it is a creative way, and I and I think Jay had it on the on the mark when he said that it was actually a, a good PR stunt, if you want to call it that, or whatever moment, um, because it did attract attention. And and it's you know, but I mean, I appreciate a good sandwich board with with some interesting things and a good label. It gets my attention, and it gives it shows that the company uh, certainly wants to reach out to the public and get attention. In this particular case, it might have gone, I mean, yeah, it, it, there was a, a line, perhaps you can argue it crossed that line, but should we be that indignant about it? No. I mean, I think businesses, uh, generally businesses take uh, a risk whenever they get involved politically. I don't think this was more a political thing. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of restaurants, it's very popular to have like a Trump burger or a, you know, a, a yeah, politician yeah. of the day sandwich, which I think is is great. So uh, it, it's not that unusual in this in this particular business, but we have seen other businesses. I mean, I think it was a couple of weeks ago or last week where Telus, uh, you know, put out that they supported a carbon tax plan, and that was a a, a sure. brutal PR moment for them. I mean, that cost them a lot of of um, of clients, and uh, they had to they they apologized profusely for for having a position, I guess. But so they take a risk. But in this situation, I think it's more of a fun thing. And people have taken it a little bit too far when they're saying they're offended by it. I, so I, I'm just so outraged by the outrage. <laughs> right. Do you let, know what let, I mean? Let me ask you about this one, though. Does yeah. this one go too far? The Mexican restaurant just down the street oh, from yeah. this radio station. La Carnita. Uh, yeah, La Carnita advertising, hey, come on in and, and grab her by the taco. Is that too far? And this obviously based on the Donald Trump comments that... I won't mention because I'm a gentleman. I heard an interesting uh, caller today talking about that in particular. I'm trying to remember exactly how she put it. She said it would be okay if, for instance, Donald Trump had used the word taco and then they said, come in and try our tacos. But to say grab her by the taco is going a little bit too far. Right. You know, but then again, would it stop me from eating there if I hear it's an amazing restaurant? Mm -hmm. Probably not. I agree. I mean, yeah, it, it did go too far. However... Uh, I think I think if a restaurant wants to get involved in, in trying to attract attention with with their little slogans, they need to to at least hire a communication expert or someone who understands what they're what they're writing because they might try to be thinking they're funny, but they're, but they're not. Uh, grab her by the taco um, <laughs> at at, the, at this particular moment in time when you know there's so much. Uh, I mean, the presidential campaign and, and and allegations flying all over the place. Probably not the smartest idea. I love, I think there must be a service that does church signs. Yes. I don't know if you guys. I've seen some. Yeah. Seen have you looked up yeah, a couple? Yeah. It seems as if, yeah, um, I, I'm just looking up just, just a number of them. Um, God, is the, God is the potter, not Harry. Levictus, 1931. Face powder may get a man. It takes baking powder to keep him. That's from another one of them. <laughs> Hipster Jesus loved you before you were cool. There's a, there's a pretty good but one. But the face powder and baking powder one, that's very sexist, Jay. Yeah. Okay. Right? Okay. And it's that. Like, can we not have a sense of humor? I'm just, people sometimes ask me or say to me, I can't believe you're not offended by this. I can't believe you're not outraged. I don't have the energy to be offended by sure. everything, right? Yeah. Like, don't we all have enough drama in our lives? Can we not sit back and watch stuff with interest? We will look back on this year in the U.S. presidential election as something we will likely never see again in our lives. 
God, God, I hope so. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. A little bit earlier tonight, I had on a woman named Claire Hopkinson. She is a CEO of the Toronto Arts Council, and I wanted to talk to her about this study that came out encouraging the city to bid on Expo 2025. The study was done by a pro-bid group who says it will only cost $1.9 billion to put this on. But of course, that doesn't count the costs uh, included for infrastructure. Here's some of what she had to say. I think it's an opportunity of a lifetime indeed. We have the uh, undeveloped Portlands, which have been on the federal, provincial and city's books to develop for many, many years now. We have a backlog in transit. Um, and so the Expo 2025, uh, not only would it bring uh, millions of tourists to Toronto and to Canada, but it would also be that catalyst that we've needed for so long to bring those big city building projects into focus. You know, I said to her, why do we need to have the World Expo in order to get stuff done in the city? Maddie? Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, perhaps there's some great intentions here. You know, you want to increase business. You want to bring investors in, in, in the city. You want to uh, help out economically. But we, if, if history is any indication here, we've seen what, what happens whenever uh, these kinds of projects get underway. Um, you know, I, I was a, a municipal councillor, so I do have some speak with some authority on this. There is so much waste that goes on in government. And the problem here is that we there, there's no priorities. We it, it seems that that we've got so many different groups with with their agenda. But the, the thing we hear all the time with Toronto is infrastructure, you know, uh, things that are declining. And yet now we're, we're talking about another Expo 2025. And you got to wonder, where is this money going to come from? <laughs> no kidding. Uh, I, I don't get it. I don't get the priorities. I, I, we, can't, we can't constantly be um, pushing agendas for, for other groups. That I mean, it's, it's a, it's, I'm sure it's a lovely thing. But again, we've seen history repeat itself here. We've seen these bonuses go out, like you said earlier in the show. There's, there's bonuses that go out. There's, there's pays that, that, you know, there are certain people that, that really benefit. And it's, not, it's never the taxpayers. It's never the tax. We don't benefit. We just pay all of the bonuses exactly. and severance. I think it's an opportunity of a lifetime indeed. We have the uh, undeveloped Portlands, which have been on the federal, provincial, and city's books to develop for many, many years now. We have a backlog in transit. Um, and so the Expo 2025, uh, not only would it bring uh, millions of tourists to Toronto and to Canada, but it would also be that catalyst that we've needed for so long to bring those big city building projects into focus. Welcome back and thanks for spending your Friday evening with us or part of it. It's a Friday night roundtable. Jay Michaels and Maddie DiMuccio and that voice you heard, Claire Hopkinson, Toronto Arts Council CEO. A study was done that uh, set the price tag for the World Expo 2025 at $1.9 billion. The study, uh, the party that put it together is a pro-bid group and they are encouraging that Toronto put in a bid uh, for this. Claire Hopkinson is on board with that.
Uh, the $1.9 billion does not include the costs for the infrastructure that would be needed. And Jay, before I get your take on it, I just wanted to mention that the last expo that was held was Milan in 2015. Okay. And their final price tag was $18 billion. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. And I would love to know what they have left over from that. When I think about Expo, I spent some time in Montreal over the, over the summer, and when you drive across one of the, the Great Bridges and you see what was left over from, I think it was Expo 78, it's like, oh, okay, so you're left with a biodome. And when I think about Toronto, I think about the things that, that are here, that will be here forever. I think of the CN Tower, I think of Rogers Centre, formerly Skydome, I think of the Jays, the Leafs, the Argos, the Toronto FC, and then I think about the Pan Am Games. What's left over from that? Condos. So what's really well, going to be left over from... unless you go out to Milton, you've got a velodrome or, okay. you know, a lot, a couple of buildings in the suburbs, some but I'm getting stuff. you. Yeah, getting some of that you. stuff I'm totally with, but I, I really feel that, unfortunately with World Expos now, true, truly, when Expos used to be held, we didn't have the technology that we have today where we can virtually visit just about everything. If I really want to see what your country has to offer, I don't truly need to go there because probably can't afford it and I might be worried about terrorism. So I worry that if we were going to spend that much money on Expo 2025, that I don't know that we'd see the returns and I would really worry about what would be left afterwards when all the dust clears and the bonuses have been paid out if the Portlands would even really actually be developed or it would just be and just the And the severance packages on the contracts that shouldn't exactly. have severance packages. Packages. Yeah. It's enough to boggle the mind. Uh, so, okay, so um, this is great. Sometimes we're caught by the first sentence of a story, and this one got my producer, George. The U.S. is starting to look a lot more like Italy. So apparently, uh, according to new data, living at home isn't the date ender it used to be. Most people of all ages giving it the okay. Well, I've got a couple parents sitting here, <laughs> and uh, this, a study found that two-thirds of millennials, Gen Xers, and baby boomers think it's more acceptable now for college gradu graduates to move back in with their parents. Jay, you have a college graduate. I have two gr college graduates. Two college They're graduates. They're actually living with me. Now, I'll take my, my older guy out of the equation. He's 28 years old. When he was 23, he had a... He had a terrible stroke and he was in rehabilitation for a number of years. He's just now starting to get his life back. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably thinking he'll be somewhat independent sometime soon. My younger guy just finished university. He's been out just a few months. So now he's, he's on the job force. Love having them around. Don't mind it at all. I do know it's going to get eventually long in the tooth, but I'm truly trying to relish it because I know this will probably be the last time they ever, they ever live with me, but, mm. it, but it is hard. It is hard, but we, you know what? We're we're a tight family. We've lived in Toronto with virtually no family around us since like '99. So we're very insular. We're very tight. We hang out. We do a lot of stuff together. We have Sunday dinners. We go out together to concerts and and movies and stuff like that. So I'm kind of cool with it. You know what? I we have a really tight family too, and uh, I don't think anything is wrong with kids staying with. I, and I also think, first of all, based on the the cost of living in a city like ours, it's probably more uh, common than not that kids end up back home after college or university. I agree, uh, Barb. I, I agree with both you and Jay. I also, we also have a tight family. And it's interesting because uh, it seems that maybe it's the new generation of millennials or maybe the way we parent, but parents are becoming friends now with their kids. We're, don't get me wrong. I, I'm their parent and I'm, you know, I'm the authority, but we also have a relationship. Like we we're like friends. hanging out together. Yeah, we, I actually yeah. enjoy their company and it's fascinating. We, you know, they come home from school. We talk about some of the things they're learning. We, we have these conversations. 
Um, and they actually enjoy, I mean, right now I'm on the show, but my, my boys are sitting with my husband watching the Jays game. So, and oh, by the way, they're actually listening here, by the way. But I hope yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Jeez. Sorry, sidetrack there. No, but um, we, we do have a great leadership. I do sometimes wonder, uh, you know, Jay sort of mentioned what what happens as, as they get older, perhaps, you know, we, we I mean, we pay for their cell phone bills, for example. When is that going to end? I mean, at what point do you say, all right, we're going to divvy up the, the bills here. Yeah. And at what age do there you needs say? To, there needs to be contributions. It's a good Absolutely. point. Someone's yeah. texting in and saying, start charging working kids rent while living at home. Is that the point once they are working? Absolutely. Yeah. I think you also have to sort of teach them that independence by realizing that, wow, I got $500 for my paycheck. The government took some. And then I got home and my parents wanted a couple hundred dollars. Oh, now I have to budget this amount. So I think that's actually a really good learning thing for them. But further to your point, too, like with my son being a university graduate, he's got a communications degree. He probably won't be able to find a job for a year. Even then, at a starting salary, the only way he's getting a place to live is if he lives with like four other dudes. Yeah. So if he can, you know, I know he's going to be healthier living with me, then he's probably going to be spending all of his money on beer living with it's three true. other guys. Yeah, Jay, Jay is right. I mean, the reality is, is that these kids now cannot afford uh, a place of their own unless they are living with friends or, or roommates. And uh we're seeing a lot more of that. We're see, I've seen people older than 25, like in their 30s, living at home with their parents because of affordability issues, which is a whole new subject. But that we might even see that more in the future. So it's a, it's a bit worrisome. We've got about a minute left before we break. And just still kind of on the same topic, do you guys know people, ever seen that situation where people say, when you're 18, you're out of the house? And it just is like, picture one of your kids at 18, just gone. Put, yeah. Kicking them out the door. You're on your own now. Such an antiquated notion now. I don't think anybody, does anybody really say that? I'd I love to hear somebody that said that. I, you know, I used to think that when I was 18. I, I was thinking to myself, I can't wait to get out of the house. I hope my kids don't think that. And I'm glad both of you actually did say that you don't mind having your kids at home because I don't mind either. I actually like having them. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think most kids, like like I said, uh, enjoy living with their parents. And, yeah, and who I, wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right? I was so, I was like you, Maddie. Like, I, I was really eager to get out on my own. Just that sort of independent personality. Uh, but I think kids really, they get it now. They appreciate it. Get food. Get my laundry. Get, Free you know, rent. Oh, yeah. Wi-Fi. They, got it, they got it good. Wi-Fi. Something we didn't even Free have Wi-Fi, to worry about right. back then. All right. <laughs> Lots more still to come, including a Toronto woman very upset at Ryerson University. Their expansion is going to affect her. We'll tell you that story when we come back. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for spending part of your Friday evening with us. So there's a Toronto woman. Oh, let me remind everyone. It's our Friday night roundtable. Jay Michaels is here and Maddie DiMuccio. And great to have you both. The tunes, guys. The tunes are amazing tonight. Yeah, it's our 80s Fridays. Love it. Yes. Uh, Toronto woman very upset at Ryerson University because of an expansion that will tower over her home. Her name is Lisa Oakey. And she bought a downtown brownstone a few years ago on a beautiful, there are some gorgeous little streets there. This one near Young and College, she bought it a decade ago. And she had great windows in the back, looked over a small leafy green space. But soon that greenery will all be gone. Ryerson University is building a new science and technology lab on its campus, 44 Gerard Street East. 
She lives right behind it. She has uh, made a number of complaints, written and oral, and the city gave the project the green light. Her local counselor is Kristen Wong Tam. A tang, a Tam said she heard Oki's pleas and empathized with her, but she says there were other voices at play in the decision to move forward, and some neighbors don't mind the building going in. Uh, I'll start with you, Maddie. Is this the price you pay for buying in the city, or should they be maybe listening to her? Well, it's not just the price you pay in the city. It's also the price you pay in, in some of the smaller cities. I mean, I was from, I'm was from i from Newmarket. We saw this a lot when I was a municipal councillor. We saw a lot of the so-called nimbyism, if you want to call it that. It is a risk you take anytime you're buying a property. Most people, do, I mean, I, I, I empathize with this with this uh, woman, with, with Lisa Oki. Um, I, I, I get that, uh, you know, she's, she, she has a, a good uh, argument there that, you know, her, 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 tax, her um, property uh, value might go down. Who knows if that's true? Um, but I will say that this is one of the things that happens when you, I mean, this is, this is a good thing for Ryerson to expand. Uh, and I think that uh, most people would agree with that. This is just one homeowner. So I don't think that, uh, you know, I think the council will empathize with her, but at the end of the day, there's no way she would get her way. Yeah, it's such an unfortunate reality to living in the city, and, and I feel for her, but I mean, it is legitimately the, the price that you pay for living in the city. I, when I first moved to the East End, I lived on an alley, and there was a community center right beside us, and it was a wonderful building. Community uh, condo developers took over. So we fought it. And we were starting to get somewhere. Then it became evident that we'd have to band together as a neighborhood, spend a bunch of money in legal fees. My neighbors immediately abandoned me. I'm telling this story super fast in the for time. That's okay. We're so, good. We're, we don't have a break till the bottom. We're good. What I ended up doing was I cut it. Cut, my my par problem, guys, was I knew that this condo would look over into my backyard. Yeah. And I said this to the developers. I said, that's my concern. I have a hot tub back there. This is where I, I hang out with my family. I don't want the people in your condo. Oh, no. Oh, no. We've already done the specs, this, that, and the other thing. I knew it was crap. So what I ended up doing was when all my neighbors abandoned me, I met with the guy and I said, well, what's it worth to you? So I cut a deal with them and I got some money. Wow. As soon as the building was built. What's it worth to you for you to stop What's your it fight? worth to you for me to stop fighting you got at it. City Hall? Okay. Exactly. So I made a private deal with the guy, ended up making a few bucks off of it, knowing full well in my heart that it was probably going to work out exactly the way he wanted. Sure enough, as soon as the units were available, I went up to take a look. Right, right into my back. Oh, my goodness. You, you, know, really, you really can't win, and it's unfortunate. I really do feel for this woman, too, because this was her, her dream home, probably. Absolutely. And, you know, it's in, one thing I, I noticed, though, about the story, and I have some familiarity when it, when it comes to zoning, um, I, I was a little surprised to read that, um, that, that the, the city of Toronto didn't, that, she, that they didn't need to apply for the zoning changes, the, development, the developer didn't need to apply for zoning changes, and that the matter was considered a minor variance. I thought that was a bit unusual. I don't think this is a minor variance. This is quite a major uh, development project. Yeah. Um, we've seen, I've seen minor variances, like putting a shed in your backyard is, is a major variance in, in the place I come from. So I'm surprised to see that. But, I, but at the end of the day, this is, this is how the, the big money and the big developers work. At the end of the day, you know, you're a small little, you know, homeowner versus development and, and the city, never you, you don't win. stand a chance. No, you're never going to win. It's interesting. I was telling the guys earlier when my husband and I were looking for homes uh, in East York many years ago, there was one house that uh, I kind of liked, but it 
backed onto a bowling alley. So at the end of the backyard was sort of the cement wall of the bowling alley. And he said, I'm not waking up every day and looking out at a cement wall. Okay, fine. We didn't buy there. And there's a whole row of houses behind the bowling alley. Well, in the last year, they've demolished the bowling alley. A condo's going in. Okay. And it would be that thing. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, you can't enjoy your backyard because somebody is looking down at you. At least in this case... It's a science and tech building. Chances are nobody's going to be looking into her backyard. She may just be looking at a wall. I get it, but it's in the city and a lot of stuff happens. It's kind of a tough one uh, to get around. So the TTC, which I was on the other day, by the way. I haven't been for a while. I I was on a bus uh, and... Sometimes I wonder how people do it every single day. Right. Right. You know, like it's crowded and we don't have enough buses. And so what the TTC is looking at doing now is installing some platforms so that people know that the performers in the subway stations are not just random street buskers. They're actually organized by the TTC, the pilot project uh, project happening at four different stations, Young and Bloor, Spadina, Main Street, and Finch. They're going to have stages that will have vinyl wraparound decal displaying from the wall, uh, the musicians to the floor underneath their stomping feet. Okay, is this where we should be spending time and resources uh, in terms of the TTC, Jay Michael? When you were traveling on uh, said bus, said bus, was anybody not wearing headphones? Uh, Very few. Actually, I told the story earlier. A woman struggled on with a stroller, nearly got her child's foot caught. She was talking on the phone the whole time. The point I was trying to make was that when you get on TTC now, and it seems whenever we ride public transit, I don't think there's anybody paying attention to anything else except for what's going on on their device. Mm. I don't see why we need... Buskers. To have buskers. I love buskers. I go to Busker Fest every year. My dad's a musician. I love musicians. I love live music. But I also know that when it comes to a transit situation, I think this money would be way better spent elsewhere. I just think we have so many things to do with the TTC, Maddie, before we start worrying about the buskers on platforms. Well, you know, at the risk of sounding, you know, here I am 15 minutes ago saying priorities spending. (laughs) But now I'm actually going to go the opposite way and say this is not a big, big uh, spending thing. I don't think this is going to cost a lot of money. And you're right, Jay. You know, we're very busy when we're at the TTC. We want to, you know, make a, a race for the for the for the subway um but i i almost feel sorry for those guys you know they they look so forlorn and forlorn and, yeah they, they're they're you know in a corner it's cold Sad. it's november you know they've got a few coins in their guitar case <laughs> for like let, come on let's not be that cheap give them a nice platform to sing on or or to to perform <laughs> make them feel great they're giving us free you know free, so, virtually free jay i feel so bad now I do. no <laughs> don't, don't feel next bad next time i see a busker i'm going to give him some tokens <laughs> Not a bad idea, but really, this is not. This isn't a big, big spending project. I, I, I don't think it's it's going to make a huge dent in the budget. We're not talking about like this is this is different than the Expo 2025 that we're talking about. So I don't think it's a big deal. Um, and and th- these are the kind of projects that actually are very low budget projects that. Maybe if we have more of these low budget projects, these these sort of low profile things, it's actually better than having these massive, you know, 2020 expos, right. which are costing us billions, right? And people watching the buskers may not realize they're in a non-air conditioned <laughs> subway. That's right. <laughs> exactly. it, it's tough right? for the, those poor guys. I feel I feel for them. Guys, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for this. Thanks Appreciate for having you us. Coming Thanks in. so much for having us. Jay Michaels and Maddie DiMuccio. 
You've been listening to a segment from the best of the Nightside with Barb DiGiulio podcast. Log on, listen, and download the latest podcast right now by visiting Newstalk1010.com.